Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones every friend to look inside their hearts and understand that I Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. For those of you that aren't familiar with us, uh, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. I started this company because I was on a personal journey with my own mother for over 30 years, and I just felt that the conversation needed to raise a notch, and we needed to start talking and find find out where real resources are to help us live with this disease instead of as it. I believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we really truly are going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease live with purpose. Together, we can just help everybody understand what the true needs are and remove the embarrassment um, that and the isolation that goes with this disease. Collaboratively, we know we're making a difference, and we are going to win this battle against dementia. Um, in 2012, Alzheimer's Speaks was named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, and um, that designation was given to us by ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And we could not have accomplished that um, acknowledgement without you. You see, your likes and clicks and shares, they're crucial. And they help expand the knowledge. So if you're listening right now and if you can like the show, I would greatly appreciate it. If you have a Twitter account, tweet it out. If you have a Facebook, go ahead and shoot it to your Facebook page or your LinkedIn group. Um, This is how we share knowledge. Simple, cheap doesn't take much time, but very powerful. And you would be amazed at the people in your own circle that you don't know are dealing with dementia that you can help. So again, I I really thank you for your time and efforts in helping spread the word and sharing knowledge. Um, We want to continue to raise awareness by giving voice to all. And so here on the show, we interview people with dementia. We interview uh, family care partners, um, advocates. We've had people that are biking across the country or cooking their way across the world. Um, there's lots of different things going on, as, as well as researchers. Um, Harvard Research has been on. We've had musicians and directors, many authors um, with some fantastic books, one of which we've got on uh, today with our show, along with businesses making a difference um, from 
GPS systems to housing needs to helping people through transitions. Um, it really is endless, and we all need to become much more aware um, of dementia as a whole. If you're not familiar um, with the Purple Angel Project, I would recommend that you go to our site, alzheimerspeaks.com. Go to our About page. We have a whole page on the Purple Angel, and that is a symbol that any business or individual can use as long as they just agree to read um, a short PDF or a poster. Um, again, it's not about having all the answers. It's about raising awareness. We'd like the Purple, the Global Purple Angel to be as prominent and as well-known as the pink ribbon for breast cancer. And together, I know we can do that. Um, later in the show, we're going to have Alzheimer's Disease International on. We've got the executive director, Mark Wortman, with us, who's going to be giving us global updates. Um, and I do want to also mention the Alzheimer's Studies um, Group. You can go to alzheimerstudies.com, find out about a couple of trials. People are always looking for uh, some newer trials, and they have a new uh, trial for frontal temporal lobe as well as their um, third trial for uh, tau. The Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, if you're into more holistic approach with uh, meditation and exercise and nutrition, great, great resource. In fact, they have a... Um, a contest going on for Father's Day I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but you can go to their site, and if you've got a story and and a picture to share, uh, maybe you can win that contest. The Louis Body Association, again, very important. Um, if you've got a specific type of dementia, to make sure that you hook up with that association. Uh, Louis Body Dementia Association is a fantastic resource, as is the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration and the National Aphasia Association. On the entertainment side and engagement side, please don't forget about Music First with Coral Health. They write prescriptions for music. They can help change our mood. They Music does it to us all the time, and it's absolutely no different with someone with dementia. So you'll be fascinated at the resources on that site. Um, puzzle with me, um, Jane Snyder designed a puzzle because her mom had dementia, and so it's more age-appropriate, it's bigger pieces, um, it's easy to clean, all those types of things. So really pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. And then Jiminy Wicket is a great social engagement and education tool which was designed by James Creasy in Colorado, whose father had dementia. And Jiminy Wicket is a croquet game that can be played by families, it can be played by communities, or it can be played intergenerationally, um, like he's set up with schools and and memory um, memory care units. Pretty, pretty cool and fascinating um, work that comes out of all of us just by taking that step to make a difference and make life a little bit easier for the next guy because that's really what it's all about. So um, before I go ahead and introduce our next guest, or our first guest, I should say, I do want to remind everybody that you can participate in the show. All you have to do is call in if you've got a question. Um, call in at 714-364-4754. That's 714 
1-888-346-9154. Or you can always uh, use the um, <clears throat> the chat box, and I will be reviewing that. And I see for whatever reason it, it put all my information in here twice. So it's doing double duty today, I guess, at Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> but that, or maybe it's three times it went in here. I don't know. Oh, well. It's uh, better that it's in there than not. So pretty funny. Um, I am going to go ahead and introduce our first guest, who is uh, Shannon Wiersbinski. And she is a middle-grade author and a hopeless optimist and a lover of the outdoors. Her first novel was The Summer of Hammers and Angels, and it was nominated for the William Allen White Award. Today we're going to talk about What Flowers Remembers, uh, which was inspired by Shannon's own experience with her grandfather who developed Alzheimer's and later forgot her. Um, this is just a powerful, touching book, um, quite amazing. So I, I can't wait to have this conversation with her. Uh, Shannon was born in North Dakota, but she calls West Virginia, Florida, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Michigan home. So she is a little vagabond, it sounds like. She currently lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and two sons um, and one rather dull fish and her always entertaining dog, Benson. So welcome, Shannon. How are you today? Good. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I am thrilled to have you with us. I, you know, I, I was able to to read your book, and it's it's absolutely uh, a fabulous, fabulous read. It's 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 easy, but it just tugs at the heartstrings, and you do such a wonderful job um, just describing moments um, that I, I think will be impossible to not touch others who who pick up this book. You've um, really, really done a fabulous job. Can you tell us, um, how would you describe the book, um, What Flowers Remember? Sure. I, I think at its most simple, the book is really a story about love and about memories. And it tells the story of one young girl uh, who has an elderly neighbor that she loves, somebody that she considers like a grandfather, and he is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And in the story, uh, Delia, uh, that's the young girl's name, decides that she is going to take matters into her own hands and she is going to help him remember so that um, he won't be able to forget and uh, in so doing, she really involves the entire town in her quest to collect his stories. Oh, cool! I just I I love it when kids get inspired, you know, to make a difference. <laughs> and you know, we were talking a little bit offline on on how kids are so left out um, when it yeah. comes to dementia. And I think you know, parents and grandparents think that they're protecting their children by not explaining and not involving. But, you know, I go into the schools and talk with kids, and they are devastated, and they know that things have changed, and they want to help, just yeah. just like Delia did. Um, but we, 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 they can't if we don't give them the opportunity, and they can be such a brilliant resource for, for us and for the person with dementia. And, um, you know, their creativity isn't is stuck nearly as much 
as uh, it is with some of us adults. <laughs> yep. I completely agree. I mean, when I've gone into schools to talk to kids and I ask the question, you know, even in third, fourth, fifth grade classrooms, how many of you know what Alzheimer's is? You know, most of the kids raise their hands. And Mm -hmm. they've known someone. um, It might be a close relative. It it might be someone, a friend of the family, something like that. Um, They know enough about it to know that it's not good but they certainly haven't all had the chance to process it or, like you said, have had people who've really sat down and had conversations with them about it or uh, asked the question of, gosh, how does this make you feel and what are you afraid of um, so that they can begin to discuss those things. Yeah, and it's really important when you when you think about, you know, probably how they've heard about it, um, which what really saddens me, it's probably off the ads that don't look like there's life with dementia. You know, um, it looks like end of life and devastating. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fear that, you know, are seen, you know, even in, in the short little videos, if they go on to YouTube in many sectors that push the statistics and the fear because that's how we raise money in the US. Right. And to and to me that is really really sad because there's great life and love with dementia and um you know I I I'm all about trying to show that to people and I think your book does a does a brilliant job. Can you give us a little more detail on on what inspired you to write the book? Sure. I um so as you mentioned I'm a a middle grade author and so there's always story ideas that are popping out. And actually years ago, several years ago, I had um, tried to write a story based on the inspiration of my grandfather forgetting me. Of um, I, And obviously I needed to process this information because I wanted to write a story about it. And um, that novel didn't work. And after my first novel, The Summer of Hammers and Angels, came out, um, you know, literally it was maybe a year later and I was traveling and all of a sudden I realized, ah, this is Delia's story. Um, and Delia was a character from my first book as well. And I, and I realized that really the, the focus of the story or the crux of the, the novel needed to be about what it's like to be forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that was really, I would say, the center point for writing the book because I had dealt with it in my own life. Um, I My grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was in my 20s, and I was very, very close to him. I had spent all my summers growing up with my grandparents. They were, I joke that they were my summer camp. Um, I'd mm-hmm. leave school, I'd go to my grandparents' house, and I'd stay there all summer. So um, I had a, a distinctly unique relationship with them. Um, and was very close, and I think I was probably like many children, um, even though I was in my 20s at the time, I, I had this unrealistic belief that I was too important to be forgotten, that mm-hmm. um, I, he loved me very, very much. How could he forget me? He wouldn't forget me. He would. He might forget other people and other things, but he wouldn't forget me, and and of course, a day came, and I realized he didn't know who I was. And you know, I have tried to be 
completely true to that emotion and that moment um, in this story, and I've given that to Delia. Um, and I, I've tried not to cover it up uh, of how painful that was. Oh, and I, I so remember that day when uh, I had a great aunt when I was 13, <clears throat> didn't remember me, and I was closer to her than I than I think most of my family, and she recognized them and not me, and I was, oh, I bawled for two weeks, <laughs> just crocodile yeah. tears. What did I do wrong? Why am I not lovable? How could she? What? I, I must have done something. What's wrong with me? And yeah. Oh, it was, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, it there is, was no it explanation. Is <clears throat> right, there, there is no explanation, and there's no explanation as to why certain people at certain times and um, other things, you know, are held tight in memory and... Um, it's just unexplainable, and I think that makes it difficult to process and something that we need to talk about because mm-hmm. when you do talk about it, all of a sudden you see, like you said, uh, there are people in your own circle that you don't know are dealing with it. And I have to say even through this book, I've had friends, you know, friends I've had for years and years who have reached out and said, oh, gosh, you know, my, my grandparent had Alzheimer's, and it was a complete shock to me because somehow we had never talked about it. Mhm. Yeah, it's Can you share with us um in the in the book here kind of the first signs that that Delia sees in old red and 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 how that goes. Could you would could you read a little bit about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um okay. so so in this first excerpt um Delia and Old Red and um, a friend of Delia's, Tommy, are walking home from school, and they have this habit of Old Red meeting them at the bus stop and walking home with them every day. So that's the the context. Old Red stopped walking. His face was flushed. We were two blocks from his house, three from mine and Tommy's. We'd been this way a million times before. I bet I could have walked half the streets in Tucker's Ferry blindfolded, They were as familiar as the lines on my own hand. Old Red stood on the corner and didn't move at all. Tommy and I stopped too, glancing left and right, trying to figure out what was the matter. I even stared up at the branches of the trees, wondering if he'd spotted some rare bird. What is it, Mr. Clancy? I asked. Tommy kneeled down to tie his shoes. Nothing, said Old Red, smoothing the hair over his head. When Tommy and I turned left, Old Red turned right as if he didn't know the way to his very own house. I gave him a tug on the arm. This way, silly. Oh, wow. Um, What kind of, uh, you know, who who are you targeting your audience to and what kind of reactions are you getting from them? Because I I just think this is just wonderfully written. Oh, well, thank you. Well, um, the the novel is targeted at middle grade, which means um, roughly ages 9 to 14. But, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is, and what I always like to say, it's really ages 9 and up. Um, honestly, all the emails I've gotten from readers so far have been adult readers and uh, folks who have literally discovered the book and have dealt with Alzheimer's in their own life and, you know, have sent me things 
um, sent me emails just saying, hey, this has, helped, this has helped me process my own feelings about my grandfather or, um, gosh, what, what happened with Old Red was exactly what happened with, um, you know, someone I loved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was wondering. I think a lot of times, um, you know, when when we write these books, and I, I know the publish, publishers, you know, want them to fit certain categories and things, but um, I think with this disease, it's so widespread um, that people are are really interested in at all ages, um, even in these these children's book. I know with Max Wallach's. Um, book, um, my grandma, why did grandma put her underwear in the refrigerator? Um, and, and this book as well, I think even though they're four kids, they have such powerful lessons to teach us and conversations to have with our children um, yeah. that they're going to show us things we, we're missing um, yeah. in the process. Um and, you know, because we, you know, as adults, you know, we kind of follow the rules. We tighten the box. We don't show emotion. We try to control. And, and they just kind of let it all be. And, yeah. um, and and like I said, have a little more creative sync, you know, with things, which I think is, is very, very important. Um, now, have you been able to, to get the book into the schools at all or libraries or... Well, you know, the book just came out uh, May 3rd, so okay. it's. Um, I think it will be, if it gets into the school libraries, it'll be in this coming year, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is all based on uh, various reviews and such. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I absolutely expect that it will start to make its way into both public libraries and school libraries. Um, you know, one reason being is that there just simply aren't many books being written about the topic of Alzheimer's and dementia, and, you know, we need them. We need them in the mm-hmm. school libraries. Yeah, we really, we really do. We really, really do. Um, you know, these conversations, I mean, I would love to be able to see there be a support group for Alzheimer's and dementia, the kids dealing with it, because there are many, many more, and that's just not a conversation they have. Um, I had one young gal who was in high school, who was trying really hard to get a support group started. And the school district mm-hmm. was kind of fighting her on it, you know. Mm. And it was, I said, you know, I'll talk to them. I'll do whatever needs to be done. They need to understand this is a massive issue. And they're like, well, no one's talking about it. It's like, because they're embarrassed. That's why. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's difficult. Uh, it is difficult. And I think that one one way to ease that difficulty is through fiction, um, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you read a fictional book, you can talk about the fictional character, and that can often be a more comfortable lead-in. Well, why did the character feel that way? What else do you think the character was feeling? Um, what do you think she's going to do next? And so you can start that conversation and start to bridge to that topic um, by projecting onto somebody fictional and in so doing, right, get out all your real personal feelings, uh, you know, they can start to come out to the table. Exactly, exactly. And that's, uh, like I said, when I've gone into the schools, that's exactly how it's laid out. You know, you talk about it and you can just read it in the facial expressions, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's going on and the, the, the sadness and the shame and the isolation and 
and stuff. Um, you know, I remember even having my mom <clears throat> live with us when my daughter was younger, um, and she never knew what grandma was going to do. You know, um, once in a while she would, she would walk out buck naked into the living room with a washcloth under washing her armpit. You know? And, I mean, you just you don't know all the time. Um, smiling yeah. and having a conversation like nothing was wrong. <laughs> and, and um, you know, thank God that never happened. I don't think when she had friends over, but it was still a shock, you know. <laughs> you know yeah, totally. yeah. Like, like, what's going on here, you know, with things? Right, and so, to talk about so. that and not be embarrassed, but just to know that this is just a natural occurrence in this process and you're no different and your loved one is no different than than anyone else, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a hard thing to know how to deal with with that, you know, yep. kind of stuff. Um, you know, what do you do and uh, what do you say? And, and a lot of times people will just get mad and march off or ignore it like it never happened. And, you know, it, it's, yep. it's, it's okay to have those, have those conversations. Um, I'm wondering, you also have in the book, um, you describe um, what Delia views, the disease as with old red. Could you read that excerpt as well? That's just a really powerful, powerful um, excerpt. Sure, happy to. So, so in this excerpt, um, old red has announced to his friends and family that he has Alzheimer's, and Delia and some her mother and and some neighbors have processed this and they've stayed up and they've been talking about it and now they're sort of ending their evening. We all hugged when it got late, our arms tight around each other, none of us wanting to let go. It was as if we might never see each other again. Or maybe that hugging filled up what the crying had let out. When everyone went home, I sat there for a long time, even after Mama had gone to bed, wondering about exactly what it was that made each person special, different from all the rest. No matter how I thought about that, I kept coming back to only one thing, memories. As babies, we're born blank sheets of paper, not a single mark. As we, get, as we grow and get older, lines form, then colors and patterns. Before long, that paper is all sorts of brilliant, like a kaleidoscope, no two exactly alike. Now, though, if the doctors were right, Old Red's paper was being erased. Bit by bit, those lines and colors were disappearing. Before our very eyes, that paper was turning white again. Mm. Yeah, that's... um How, how, you know, because you kind of saw this with your own grandfather, what... Um, as you were writing this book, I would imagine you had all kinds of emotions crop <laughs> up, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but um, could you share some of those with us? On... Yeah, I think it was, um, certainly you're absolutely right. I, I thought back far more deeply about that time and about how I processed it, how I reacted to it, how my grandmother reacted to it, and um, and honestly, some of the things now looking back, boy, I wish I had done. And so there was that aspect of 
hindsight is twenty twenty, and, and Delia certainly ponders more probably than I did at that given time because you're just trying to get through day to day. Of, mm-hmm. um, but but I think you know you touched a little bit on it before. There's certainly some level of embarrassment of wait, why is this person acting like this? There's confusion. Why is this person acting like this? Um, you know, in the in the book, Old Red uh, does get brought home by a police officer because he's he's wandered off in his car and gotten lost. Um, you know, that can be confusing and shaming at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and I think um, you know, sort of in the in the spirit of boy, I wish I'd had one of uh, the book like this when I was going through this. Um, you know, I was able to really think about what would I have asked my grandfather before he had lost his memory. And, you know, Delia is able to do that in the story, and she and Old Red are able to have a conversation about the fact that he will forget her and that it has no bearing on how much he loves her. And so I think to a certain extent I... Um, I myself needed to tell myself that, right, which is why I ended up writing it in the book, that it was a a form of processing to me that, boy, if I had had a kind of conversation like that with my grandfather, I'm sure that's what he would have said. Um, Mm -hmm. But but we never did. Yeah. Well, and, and what a powerful lesson to share with people, to just have that conversation you know to remove remove the fear and um and have that conversation because it's just so it's just so important for us to do that um i do want to throw right. out if any of our um listeners have any um questions or comments um you know please utilize the chat box or again you can always call into the studio at 714 364 Four seven five seven. Again, that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. We'd love to have you join the conversation. Um, maybe you were a child um, who was dealing with this, uh, or maybe you're a parent or a grandparent watching. Uh, your children or grandchildren uh, deal with this. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, everybody's voice is important to be heard, and so don't don't be shy because there is no right or wrong answers with all this stuff. It's it's uh, you know just working through it together and um, and uh, you know moving moving on through it. Um, now. We had talked a little bit, um, you had kind of, re- when you were doing research on this book, you had looked to see if there were very many children's novels, you know, that focused mm-hmm. on Alzheimer's and dementia. Can you tell people what you found or what you didn't find? Yeah. I, I mean, I was surprised, really. Um, like I said, I didn't set out to write a book about Alzheimer's, but then once I had written in it, I said, gee, I wonder how many other books are out there and I was shocked at how few I found. Um, often when you click, if you click on a topic like cancer on Amazon uh, to get a search of books, I mean, you'll get hundreds of books. Um, mm-hmm. There are many, many uh, children's novels that deal with cancer and leukemia or um, things like that. And with Alzheimer's and dementia, I mean, literally there were a handful 
and it did make me ask the question of why? why why is this topic not one that's written about more often um especially because you have conversations with people and so many folks have dealt with it and i don't know if it is this notion of wanting to protect children from the disease, although we don't necessarily feel like they should be protected from cancer or other diseases in terms of um, discussing them, um, or is it simply that it feels too depressing? Um, I mean, that is something I've heard from folks when they've heard, they heard what this book was about. They said, "Oh gosh, why would why would kids want to read a book about Alzheimer's?" Like, well, mm-hmm. one, it's not a book about Alzheimer's; it's a book about relationships <laughs> and and people who are like your family and and some of the things that can happen to them. And, well, my goodness, why wouldn't we write books about Alzheimer's? Because kids are dealing with it. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know why it isn't a bigger part of the conversation. Yeah, I I think, you know, we've tried to ignore it so long um, on so many levels, I think, to me, is part of the issue. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with the whole piece and, you know, it's not going away. And, right. um, you know, the more we push it away, the more fear um, and the more isolation, you know, equates with it all. So it just, yeah. uh, it's just really kind of sad. We need to let people have outlets. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine for you, I know it is for me when I write my blog and things, it, it's really, um, it's very healing um, yeah. to, be, to be able to write and to talk with others. And um, I mean, it's just, it's it's unbelievably powerful what having a conversation or ha- having the freedom, feeling you have the freedom to even have the conversation or have the thoughts that you have regarding this disease. Um, And, you know, we shouldn't take that away from people um, because it's not going away. Um, It's, you know, so... um, Yeah, it it definitely isn't. And I think it's it's just one of those things that, at least from my experience and what I've seen, it feels like certainly as dementia progresses in people, those people do become a little bit more hidden. They end up staying at home or, or they go to a... Um, a, a special home that can care for them. And, you know, we just don't have beautiful survivors of of Alzheimer's um, like you do with other diseases. And yep. people that we can celebrate and say, oh, look, right, they made it, they, they got through. And as silly as that sounds, I think it makes a difference um, that that we just, this is a disease that for whatever reason over time, we we just sort of hide away. Mhm. Yeah, it's it really it really is um kind of a sad state that we are in. Um yeah. I I think as as a world as a whole and it's definitely changing. You know, with the Purple yeah. Angel and dementia-friendly communities and businesses, um, things are picking up steam and, and look out world because you're not going to be able to hide from it, even if you want to. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Going, it, it's going to be out of the closet, and we're going to be having these conversations, and it's it's going to be healthy. This isn't, um, I don't know, for me, I, I don't know for you, but, I mean, the disease taught me to be a better person. 
by mm-hmm. leaps and bounds in so many fashions and and the lessons that that the disease taught me are applicable in all areas of my life. Yeah. And yeah. you know why would we push that away? Yeah, I don't you know? know. I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think it does teach you to be patient and it teaches you to love unconditionally and um you know, to be less self-centered in in yep. many ways because you've got to care for this person who over time uh, becomes less able to care for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And to be able to, you know, have a, have have a conversation and to be able to not be judgmental um mm-hmm. and and have more tolerance. Um, you know, it I mean it really and I've always felt like I wasn't that judgmental. My 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 daughter would tell tell a different story, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I really I really thought I was pretty inclusive. Um, but I, looking back, can honestly say, oh, I really wasn't. I really thought everything had to fit in this nice, nice neat little box, and I got really stressed when I couldn't package things that way, and I, I couldn't, which came right. down to I couldn't control them. And so right, I'm, right. I'm much better now at being um, spontaneous and more accepting and more creative and focusing on having fun and finding joy instead of focusing on on loss of of what's gone you know it it's taught me gratitude for what i had to begin with which many never yeah. had and it's taught me not to worry and project so much into the future because most of that stuff doesn't happen anyways um right. and that we and we can't do anything in in the moment now, you know, if we get lost yeah. in the past or the present. And so, um, you know, I, I get so upset some days at what we teach in schools, you know, <laughs> because it's like, why aren't we teaching things that are applicable um, yeah. to real life that, that can really be used and integrated and, and maybe make us a more peaceful world because we're a very angry world. Um and uh, you know, I would love to love to be able to see that. Um, yeah, can you I think, tell people? I think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, that's all right. Go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say, I, I think there's also this notion um, that certainly comes with Alzheimer's, and it's expressed in the book for sure. Is this notion of community and being able to ask for help? That this is a disease that you most likely can't tackle alone. At some point as a caregiver or as a family member, you're going to need help, and and you need to ask for it, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. most simply there are, there are so many people around you that will help you, and you need to not have that embarrassment or that angst around just raising your hand and, and other people will come in. Yeah, very, very true. Very, very true, and and I think um, again the whole you know dementia friendly communities is is part of that. Um, getting people yeah. to feel comfortable just having a conversation, which you know sounds so silly because it's so simple. Um, yeah. But I think um, even like with the memory cafes that we have, that that could be a really fun concept for kids and grandparents, or their mm-hmm. kids and parents. Um, to be able to do, um, to be able to have conversations for them to be able to find peers and to, you know, the disease is part of it, but it's not the primary focus. It's about 
it's about getting to the core of your relationship. Yeah. Um building and rebuilding and and moving forward, you know, not giving up or or feeling lost. And yeah. um that's powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. Can you tell us um how did you come up with the title What Flowers Remember? Oh, goodness. Well, there's a a theme uh, in the book, so Delia and Old Red are gardening partners, if you will. Um, Old Red is an expert gardener, and Delia wants to learn more about gardening, and so she essentially enrolls herself in the in the you know um, in his school of gardening, and mm-hmm. becomes an apprentice. And as it turns out, Old Red has a yard full of heirloom flowers. And so um, he teaches her how to collect seeds from them so that those heirloom flowers can continue to grow. And she wonders, um, there's a, a tiny passage, I was just able to find it, um, where she wonders what they remember. And she says, um, while gathering seeds in my hand, some big, some as tiny as a grain of sand, I've wondered if they hold any memory of the flowers before them, what they saw, what they heard, how to survive in times of drought, or anything at all about the people who tended them. If they do, I wonder what the next seeds will remember about me and Old Red. Mm. And so I, I, I just loved that, that image of seeds, um, you know, almost no different than stories or memories that go on and on and on through the generations and that in some way they they did remember um, Old Red even when he is gone. So mm-hmm. that that was the inspiration really for the, the title. Uh-huh. Well, it's, yeah, because in reading it, you, it, it, but it ties, I mean, it ties just so beautifully in um, to the to the book and it's just, you know, you do it in, uh, you know, you've, you've chunked this down into um, chapters by months. And mm-hmm. um, it's just, a, it's such an easy, beautiful, beautiful read. Now, did you self-publish or um, can you tell people um, a little bit more about the process um, with this? Or did you go through um, an actual publisher? There's so many different modes nowadays. And we yeah, I know a yeah, lot of people... At, a lot of people in our audience that contemplate writing a book, so maybe if you can give many tips on, on, on the process, that would be great. Sure. Well, I, I always say the first tip is to write the story. Um, there are a lot of people with story ideas out there, um, but you actually need to write the manuscript. So um, this this was published through a uh, publisher. It was not self-published. Um, it's through a company called Nomalos which mm-hmm. um, has been around. It's a relatively newer publisher that really focuses on children's books. So they focus on middle grade and young adult novels. Mm-hmm. And um, they had published my first book as well and then, uh, and then published this one or, uh, you know, just in May. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of um, writing a book or how to get published, uh, there's certainly a lot of avenues today. Again, you know, write the story first, and then um, if if uh, mainstream publishing is of interest, uh, really there's a process of getting connected with editors or agents uh, 
typically through conferences or things like that so that you can get to know some people and see if they have your same sense of humor, if they connect with you, if they care about the topics that you like to write about. Um, and then you typically would submit uh, to folks that you do connect with. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then that process can take a long time uh, mm-hmm. and it can be fraught with rejection. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I think there are a lot of folks nowadays who say, hey, I'd, I'd like to self-publish, whether I publish um, sometimes that's a book just for yourself and your family, <clears throat> and that's okay too. If that's you know people who want to publish a family history or something along those lines, um, and there are certainly folks who self-publish who are able to find a following through a blog or or through other mechanisms, and you know are quite successful. So I think it depends on what your objective is with the book as to which path is is right for you. Okay. Well, that's I think that's really really good advice um for people to to know cuz it's um it's a complicated process and it's changing so much. Yeah. You know, yeah. There all the time that it's just a little little craziness there um depending on on how um you know which direction somebody yeah. somebody chooses to chooses to go but I I do encourage you know more people to write um you know for me I I still have not published my book yet I've got one ready to go which actually is a a children's it's a children's book that I think will teach adults many, many things. <laughs> the way mm, that I've, yeah. I've set it up um, and have great conversations, and um, you know, and then I've got a, another one that I'm I'm looking at too. And you know, I I thought I would have written a book way back in '09, but it really is a process, uh, you know, to go through. And um, at first, I wasn't sure that my story would even be valid and that's why I started right. the blog you know was just mm. to kind of test that theory out and yeah. um and so it's it's interesting and you know a blog doesn't cost you any money if you want yeah. to uh you know see uh you know I, and kind of and part of it is not just uh testing you know is your story any good but what's your comfort level in terms of being exposed because yeah you, you're definitely exposed and can you can you talk about that feeling at all as a as a as a writer what that is like yeah i think i think um there's a little bit of safety in writing fiction in that you have your character and so mm-hmm. delia isn't me exactly um but i have been able to give her some emotions that i felt myself and so I do think that in the best kind of writing, um, when you are writing emotion and scenes that right, you want your character to be vulnerable, you as a writer have to be just as vulnerable. Um, and I can tell you that when I was writing the scene um, when Old Red forgets Delia, I sobbed. I sobbed and I cried every time I was editing that piece, every time I was refining that, because I was really tapping into my own heartfelt emotions and trying to put that on the page. And, you know, I think that you have to do that in order for the reader to feel what you felt. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I, I think it's up to you as an author afterwards how how much um, you get into your own personal story, whether it's you know through things like this and radio shows or or other blog posts or things like that. You can decide how much you want to share. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think there's there's value in readers knowing that one this happened to you and that you had a deep emotional response to it. And two, that you've given that away to your characters as well. It doesn't have to be your story. I mean, her story is certainly not my story um, in terms of what happens to her. But I would say that there are certain core emotional elements that are absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Which which makes you know a lot of sense, and um, but it allows you to tell your story if you so choose. You know, right, to right. to do that, which is is very, very cool to do. Which you you know done a brilliant job um, sharing with us today some of your own personal journey and and how you got here. What um, what has your family said about you writing writing this book? I mean, has it has it gotten them, have family and friends, talking a little bit more about uh, you know about the disease and and the effects of the disease? It certainly has caused um, some conversation with with my parents. So it was my dad's father who had Alzheimer's. And um, because I was writing the book and, and talking about the issues, it certainly got us having some conversations and reliving, you know, good memories, sad memories. And it certainly caused me to talk to my children as well, and I would say, you know, almost even more so, it's caused conversations with uh, people that I, around me that I had no idea had experienced this disease. Um, you know, friends, colleagues at work. Um, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, you know, I've dealt with that too. Or, and and so then I hear their story, and you know, it's striking how similar so many of our stories are, and that even makes it more valuable to discuss because you realize, right, I'm not alone. I'm not the only mm-hmm. one that's happened to. Yeah, very, very true. And um, it's uh, it's an interesting process. I, I just, I'm fa- always fascinated by the conversations and where they lead and who's involved and at what level. And um, typically people talk about what they, you know, if they're looking in the past, what they wish they would have done, um, which, mm-hmm. what they wish they would have known. And again, by by passing on information, just by, you know, sharing this radio show with somebody, by, you know, tweeting about it or sending it to Facebook or, you know, whatever it might be, um, you're allowing someone to learn. You're allowing yeah. someone to help remove their fear and isolation. You're making it a more more comfortable for them to come out and talk about it when others are doing that and feel safe. Yeah. And so you're, you're yeah. really a, a role model in setting the stage. And to me, I think that's one of the things that is critical that we that we all do now. Um, Elva has written in the um, chat box. She saw. Um, she was just talking about suggestions on, you know, how to how to deal with uh, 
the disease in Alzheimer's Reading Room on the blog about printing out a business card that says something like, I ask for your understanding if my loved one does or says something offensive or inappropriate. My mm-hmm. loved one has a brain disease, which makes it impossible to self-monitor. Um, and she talked about her own children were not close to her mother who had the disease and, and died in 2006. Um, but she tried to take her granddaughters to visit at the nursing home, but they were too frightened of the people there. Mm. And, you know, hopefully that will change over time. Yep. I I think... Um, I think I think nursing homes and uh, different communities have changed a lot in a lot of areas, but not all over. And I and I think a lot of it has to do with our comfort level walking in the door too, and our confidence um, yeah. in terms of if we've got a smile on our face and if we're open to greeting those people that might look a little scary. That that can take the edge off um, yeah. in the in the fear. Um, no different than I, I remember when I was younger, I worked with the developmentally disabled and I had a, a teenage stepson come to visit and oh my gosh, you know, they were running up to him and giving him hugs and he was, he was just <laughs> petrified. You know, he, he like had to go in a room just for a little time out because he was just, he was just overwhelmed and not sure what to do. And then, and then he he settled in and kind of got into the groove and realized it was it was all good, and it was and and it ended up really having a lot of fun, you know, visiting um, with everybody. Right. But but it was just so different um, that you know wasn't sure how to how to deal with that, how to react. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So do you do you foresee yourself um, writing another book at all on this or? Um, taking the story any further um, in terms of dementia or the community of dementia? I, I know it ends, you know, um, with with Red not not knowing and and things, but um, you know, could be others in a community um, for educational purposes, or do you, or do you see her off and running with uh, with something else in her next book? Yeah, I actually I think I think Delia's story is done and mm-hmm. um I I certainly I, I at this point I can't see myself writing another book uh, um focused on dementia or Alzheimer's but I certainly hope to be continuing to have this discussion um through blogs and and through the Alzheimer's community because I think that I've realized how much value there is in it and um, and just the the fact that we're not talking about it enough. I mean, it really has been eye-opening to me uh, now that the book has come out that, right, it, it's just not talked about. And so, um, you know, I'm certainly trying to assess, hey, how can I help that conversation, whether it's in um, with children in schools or uh, with adults who have dealt with this but, but not processed it um, fully, and you know how can how can fiction help them do that yep which is which is a a great great route to go well i surely hope to see your books in the libraries and um you know if there's if there's anything that that i can do to help you in that process um please <clears throat> please let me know if it's <clears throat> if it's a letter of recommendation or I don't know what the process is, 
um, or if it's just, uh, I know some people have sent me books to to drop off to local libraries around here. I know they all work a little bit different, it seems like. Um, yeah, they do. I, I mean, most most libraries that I've come into contact with, um, you know, really it's if a reader comes in and requests a book, if they've mm-hmm. got budget, they'll they'll get it for you. So mm-hmm. I think that would be the easiest route for probably most of your listeners. Uh, you know, just ask. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that that would be wonderful because it would be it would be great. I would love to you know see this even as a curriculum for the kids. I, I think there's so many lessons in your book um, and great conversations that could be had. And you know it's it's an easy read. It's um, not going to be over anybody's head. Um, and um, I, I think it could just be just a great great. Great, great book on many levels. You know, I'd love to see it in a in in a book club. So if anyone's got a book club, this would be this would be a fun book to I think uh, have in as part of a part of a book club as well. Um, would be very neat. Have you thought, or maybe you're doing this, um, having kind of a, a book club atmosphere where people can share on your website or if it's Facebook page or what whatever um, their thoughts about about the book, not just a formal review, but where people could have a conversation? Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't thought about that per se. I know there's options um, within uh, Goodreads, which is a site for book lovers, to do a Q&A, which certainly mm-hmm. could be something um, worthwhile. And then, you know, absolutely, if, if folks want to um, post something to my author Facebook page, um, I respond to all of that. So I think um, that also is a good place to have a conversation. Or even if it doesn't involve me, like you said, right, have a book club, um, read the book, have a discussion with people that are close to you, right? That That's mm-hmm. obviously valuable. Yeah. Yeah, it would be um, – I just think – I don't know. I always just think the conversations are, are fascinating. Um, yeah. With with all of this kind of stuff, and I think it's just uh, very very, um, like I said, very very powerful, powerful read for for people, um, and I think uh, I, I think there'll be a new a new appreciation, you know, for for life with dementia, dementia and the effects on on a child. Um, yeah, so I think that that's that's a neat. A neat, neat thing to um, to be able to pass along. So, what is the best way for for people to to reach you? What uh, contact information would you like them to have? So, I am available. I've got a website, uh, shannonwersbitsky.com, which is hard to spell. I don't know if that's going to be available somewhere on your on your blog site. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm available at Twitter, uh, at S. Wersbitsky, and uh, if you look me up on Facebook, Shannon Wersbitsky, I've got a, a page that says Children's Author, um, and so all of those are good ways, and, and via Goodreads as well. So um, Shannon Wersbitsky and all of those, in all of those areas, will you will find me and find my books, and, you know, I am happy to... Um, chat or respond uh if if folks post on my Facebook page or send me an email uh etc. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I have it on um on the radio page as well as uh having it on 
the um, the blog site as well. I've got the contact information um, for people. I think that that is. Um, I, I just think it's a great. A great, great book, and I highly, highly recommend it um, to all all different types of of listeners here. I think all ages, like you said, um, have already been listening, you know, to to the um, uh, or, or not listening, but have been reading the book and have been writing in, and and I just think that that's uh, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so exciting. Exciting times. Any last information that you want to um, give to our audience at all? No, I would say, um, you know, if if you're processing and, and the book speaks to you, um, you know, I would certainly love to hear your story and for you to share it with someone else as well. So um, I think that's about it. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It really was a pleasure having you with us, uh, Shannon. Thank and you, Lori. Wish, uh, wish you the best of luck with, again, your book, What Flowers Remember. Wonderful, wonderful book. Thank you so much. You have a great week now, okay? Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, before I call in our next guest, I just want to go over some mid-program highlights. Um, our last radio show we had on the founders of Dementia Mentors, which is a great new website, um, DementiaMentors.com. It is for people. It is designed for people with dementia. It was actually designed by Harry Urban, who has dementia. Uh, Gary Joseph LeBlanc, um, Michael Newworth, and Richard Taylor uh, were all on that program with us. It has um, it's, it's a place where people can sign up if they're newly diagnosed to get a mentor who has dementia to talk to. Um, I think it's going to be fabulous for helping removing the, the isolation and the fear and also connecting people to social groups um, so that they can feel connected. There are games on the site. There are three-minute videos, a variety of them that will actually help not only the person with dementia but their care partner. But the site for itself is really um, for those with dementia. Our next show next week, uh, next Tuesday, will be the importance of dementia training. And we are going to have Rita and Annard with us. Um, dementia Chats, our last one was on the 27th. And on that one, we discussed the, the holiday weekend and adjustments that people had to make and um, you know how they're living with the disease now that they're diagnosed. We also talked about ways to educate and empower um, care partners and caregivers and what it feels like to be excluded and how to educate both the public and professionals um, in terms of living living with purpose. And this afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 Central, 1 Mountain, and Noon Pacific, we will be doing another Dementia Chats talk. It's a free webinar. We'd love to have you with us. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Uh, We've got information on the front page as well as if you go to the About page for, for more thorough information there too. I also just want to make an announcement. Um, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation has a contest going on for Father's Day that will run through June 29th. And they're calling you to share your favorite dad moments in memories. Um, June is the month we celebrate our fathers, and this year Father's Day falls 
uh, this Sunday on June 15th. And what a better way to celebrate the love of your father than submitting a favorite story and picture of him. Um, when you submit um, your your favorite dad moment, um, you would submit that to contest at alzheimersprevention.org. That's contest at alzheimersprevention.org. And do that by Sunday, June 29th. You can always go to the Alzheimer's Speaks blog um, for uh, information and links on that as well. Um, this last week, I did do a lot of writing on the blog. Um, Michelle uh, Remold, our intern, did a nice uh, post on caring for the caregivers. Um, we talked about um, the new launch of Dementia Mentors as well as food, nutrition, and aging um, on the radio show. We had, along with Dementia Mentors, this last uh, last show on the 6th, Dr. Koffler, who is the Assistant Medical Director for the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. We had a um, little bit of difficulty with Skype that day um, for her calling in, but it was really great content. We may be redoing that second half of the show, um, so just an FYI there. Um, haven't had an issue like that in quite a while. And then last, I just want to mention, if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com, on the front page, um, on the first section there, there is a really powerful video, and it's from uh, Start Lodge in Australia, and Colin Mc mcdonald um, and his brilliant technique for engaging it's about 14 minutes long it is well worth your time to watch very very um, powerful i'm i'm excited that i'm going to be able to meet with he and his team um, in about a week i'm going to go uh, meet with them while they're in the States here. So I will keep you posted on that. We're also going to schedule them for a radio show so we can talk a little bit more about what they're doing. It, it's quite fascinating. So let me go ahead and introduce our next guest here. I'm thrilled to death to have Mark Wartman, the Executive Director of Alzheimer's Disease International, back with us. Mark is in charge of all aspects of ADI's work, from collaborating with the board and implementing finances and campaign strategies to representing ADI at international conferences and the, the NCD Alliance. And um, also he takes part in the um, the H, uh, I'm sorry, WHO and UN meeting. So, welcome, Mark. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. And you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's a bright, sunny day here in Minnesota, so it's a little on the cool side, yeah. but that's okay. It's not raining. <laughs> yeah. E even in London, it's uh, sunny now. Is it? Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice day. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm I'm very excited to um, talk with you and hear all about the annual conference this past May that was in Puerto Rico. Um, I really wanted to attend, and then I ended up having a, a conflict with the speaking engagement myself. So can you tell us how the global community got together and, and what happened at that conference? Sure, yeah. That was a, it was a very nice, uh, very good event. Um, we were in San Juan, the capital of San, uh, Puerto Rico, um, which is a sort of the 
turning point between the English and the Spanish-speaking world in the Americas. So we had many attendees from both sides, both from the U.S. and Canada, but also from uh, Central and Latin America and the Caribbean, and then other parts of the world as well. Um, and it is a three-day conference uh, plus an evening before where we do an opening ceremony with some, uh, there was some entertainment from a local group of students who made music and did singing. Um, yeah, and it was a very, very nice atmosphere. Um, and we touched on all the, all the important things that are happening at the moment in the world, the field of Alzheimer's and dementia. So, um, new technologies, uh, improving care and quality of life. Uh, prevention and risk reduction, uh, advocacy. Um, and we had a bunch of very well-known speakers. So Stephen Dukoski from the U.S. who gave an overview of the current science. Um, Laura Fationi from uh, Sweden. She gave an overview of the prevention studies in Europe. And then, for instance, Colin Masters from Australia who talked about uh, the, the Diane project, where people with familiar Alzheimer are uh, studied in, in various sites all over the world uh, to see. Um, they sometimes start at a very young age with medication and, and testing, just to because they're at high risk of the disease, to see if there is anything, if we can find anything that may help prevent the disease or delay the onset. Um, so there was a lot of science, but there was also a lot of talk about uh, the public policy area. And because we were in the, the American region with a focus on uh, the Pet American Health Organization, which is the part of the World Health Organization for North and South America. Um, and that's an interesting organization because it's actually all, older than the World Health Organization, so it's all, over 100 years old. Um, and in 1948, when the World Health Organization was created, this became the, the American region and the, the five other regions in the world as well in the World Health Organization. Um, and ADI is working with the staff of PAHO to see how we can support uh, the countries in the region with little resources themselves. So there were people from PAHO at the meeting, and they also engaged with uh, the member associations from uh, Central and South America. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having a feeling that I throw a lot of information to you. So no, probably if you want to ask questions. Sure. Um, now, you had mentioned some new technologies. Do you remember any of them offhand that kind of kind of caught your attention there? Um, there's just um, so much going on with technology. It's hard to keep up. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know on top of my head. I know there's there's stuff like working with GPS to mm -hmm. be able to know where people are, uh, but also technology for in the house to make life easier. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Special watches, special clocks. Um, all kind of, of materials, and I have to say I I cannot keep track of everything myself either. And sometimes oh no, I I'm, understand that. <laughs> I'm at the conference, <laughs> but then I'm 
having other meetings and I sometimes I miss very interesting program items and then the nice thing is that there is a, a lot of presentations can be found on our website Uh, so if the speakers agreed to share their abstract or their uh, slides, and most of them did, you can see them on the ADI website, and you can look at okay. it yourself. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, that's that's great to know. We do have that link on um, on the page here um, for for the radio as well as on the blog. To, to, there's so much great information that you guys have on your site um as a whole. Now I know that there were some, some new members that were added um to ADI. Yeah. I think Morocco and Nepal and um Norway and I'm sure I'm missing a couple others. Um Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So five new countries applied and uh mm -hmm. yeah Morocco is very interesting because we don't have many African countries yet. Mm -hmm. And there's a it's a very new organization that's very active. Uh, all created by uh, caregivers or care partners. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, so we're very pleased that they have become a member. Uh, but Norway, on the on the other hand, is a much older organization that has been professional member in the past but never applied for full membership. But now they did, and they're very well established. And Nepal is also interesting because it's... Um, Uh, it's really a developing country with very little resources, um, but um, yeah, they need an Alzheimer's association as well, and they're going into a twinning relationship with one of the provinces in Australia, Alzheimer's Australia, Victoria, um, that means that the two organizations will work together under the umbrella of ADI and support each other, and when we started this program, Some ten years ago, we thought that it is a way to transfer information and knowledge from the more established organization to the the newer one. But what happens in practice is that both learn from each other, and that even if you have an established organization, you can still learn from the new ones because they're sometimes very creative in raising awareness or setting up new programs and activities. Yeah, and, and I think it's good for that uh, for that creativity um, because people's budgets are different and their passions and, and allowing those skills. It's it's kind of fascinating what crops up, um, you know, when we let it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we yeah. Let it exist. So very very neat. Uh, well, that's exciting. So I think you're up to like eighty four eighty four members now. Is that correct? Right. Different yeah. associations. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, that is wonderful, and and you yeah. also elected a new chair for um, 2015. Can you tell people who that is? And yeah, the, the new chair is going to be Glenn Rees, who is currently the CEO of Alzheimer's Australia, and he will retire later this later this year and then have time free to serve as a board chair of ADI, which is a lot of work and it's a it's voluntary job. So we're very pleased with that. He's he's very experienced, and I think he's been a CEO for almost 15 years, and knows the field very well. Knows how to work with governments, and yeah. So it was a good choice. Okay. And what we do is that we elect the chair a year in advance, so that people can prepare for it um, and uh, can be uh, involved already in some of the meetings, so they know what's going on. 
um, because if you start from scratch, uh, yeah, there's a lot that you don't know yet. But sure. The expectations are always high. The chairman gets, uh, or chairwoman gets lots of invitations to speak. Um, of course, it's not always possible, but it's always, it, it will be, again, like Dr. Jacob Roy, who is now the chairman, is, is a very good ambassador. And he's actually speaking today at uh, the International Federation of Aging Conference in India. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's that's good. Um, it's nice to have lots of in, ambassadors to be able to talk about all the good work you guys are doing. Can you give us an yeah. update on, on the G8 Summit of last December and maybe some of the upcoming events um, for that group yeah. and how they're planning on improving our care culture? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the G8 is not longer the G8, but the G7 because of the troubles with Russia and in Ukraine. Okay. So, but on the other hand, the countries that came together last year decided that they want to broaden this movement and um, that the meetings that are planned for this year are open for uh, attendees from all countries of the world and that governments from other countries are involved as well. So, there's going to be um, there are going to be four follow-up events. The first one is in London next week on the 19th of June. And that will look at um, new funding models, and innovation. And then in September there is an event in Ottawa in Canada that's jointly organized by Canada and France. And it's about how uh, universities and the private sector can work together better and more closely. Um, and then the third one is in November in Tokyo in Japan, and that will be about care and health systems. And then finally in February 2015, there is an event in Washington, D.C. Um, that will be a two-day researchers meeting and then a one-day sort of wrapping up a meeting with uh, hopefully with the ministers of health of all the seven countries and maybe others as well. Okay. And that's probably the last event in this uh in this cyclus. But yeah, that means the, the G8 is not really a structure, it's a very informal way of meeting. There is not a G7 or G8 office anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So to to get some continuity, there are two two other things important. One is that there was a, a, a guy appointed as the World Dementia Envoy. That's Dr. Dennis Chillings and He's supposed to to lead the work in, especially into finding new new resources for research funding, and he is supported by a World Dementia Council, which is some 12 to 14 people uh, from various parts of the world and also with experience in the fields of Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, so they should continue this process and then the second important thing is that we that's mainly what we are trying as ADI to get a work stream in the World Health Organization as well and okay. that that's not so flexible as a G8 but it is uh, on the long run uh, it means that um, yeah that a lot of work can be done in the country with the help of the World Health Organization can you can you um um I just want to ask there was talk at one time that the G8 was going to go to a G20 because there was so much interest 
Is it? But now it's kind yeah. of shrunk because because of Russia. Do you see that expanding, or are you guys going to hang tight, kind of at this size for right now? Or I don't know. I know that there is there has been uh, movement in Australia because Australia is this year the chair of the G20. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a meeting planned for November this year in, in Australia. And a group of people from Australia has set up an online petition and collected 12,000 uh, signatures from around the world. And that's just handed over to the Prime Minister of Australia. And we have to wait and see if he uh, is going to respond to that. Okay. Um, because the G20 is it's exactly the same as the G8 or the G7. That it's um, it's an informal meeting of heads of states and prime ministers, and they decide on their own agenda. But there is not really a structure for it. So what what is uh, urgent at some point in time is discussed in these meetings. Okay. But at least it's uh, attention in Australia and. Uh, uh, what is happening anyway is that for the meeting in next week, for instance, in London, they have invited speakers from all around the world. So there's someone from Alzheimer's Indonesia, for instance, is presenting how they do the awareness activities over there. Um, and in other sessions as well, that people from outside the, the most wealthy countries and, and people from developing countries as well. Okay. Okay, okay. Now, I also heard that that ADI has become a member of the NCD Alliance. Can you tell people what what that is and why that was yeah. important for you to become a member? Right. Yeah. So NCD stands for non-communicable diseases, or you could say all the chronic diseases. Um, and in the international policy, there has been over the well, I think the whole the 20th century, there has been a huge effort in fighting uh, infectious diseases, communicable diseases, um, but not much um, because that's what people die from immediately. And because it has been so successful, now the majority of people in the world die from chronic diseases like cancer and heart disease, for instance. So... Um, a few years ago, there was a summit at the UN, at the United Nations, about these NCDs, and that was the start of a process of um, policy making. Um, but it concentrated very much on four on the four major chronic diseases, which is cancer, heart disease, lung disease, and diabetes. Um, we were quite disappointed that Alzheimer's and dementia was not included, so we lobbied hard to the, the countries of the UN to change that. And at the meeting, they uh, accepted a, a declaration which had a paragraph that said that mental health and uh, Alzheimer's disease and other neurological disorders are also main areas of uh, chronic diseases and should be taken into account. Um, so that was one. But these, the um, civil society organizations, the non-profit organizations, in the international field also uh, worked together in an alliance and that was the NCD alliance and that was again the four the four big disease groups that came together and and we wanted to be part of that so we uh, when they had a review process in 
2013, they, they looked at that. And then at the beginning of this year, we were invited to become the fifth major disease area. And the importance of this is, I think, first of all, recognition that dementia is a, is a, a big topic worldwide. Um, the second thing is that uh, this group, if they look at what they have in common, it's very much a risk factors. So uh, things like smoking, uh, alcohol abuse, lack of physical activity, unhealthy diet, those are all risk factors for, for all these diseases. And there's more and more evidence that it's the same for dementia. And so we think that if we can ha add the brain health to the physical health, that we make this alliance stronger and that we can send stronger messages to the public how important it is to, to live a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Not only for avoiding heart disease or cancer, but also for maybe de avoiding or delaying uh, dementia. Mm -hmm. Which which makes a, a ton a ton of sense. Um, I know here in the U.S. I don't know if you heard about it, but there was a um, 60 Minutes is a pretty big um, kind of news reporting uh, thing that's on uh, every Sunday night, and they had they had followed a continuum of care. Um, and as people passed, they did the brain autopsies on them. And what they found was that people that weren't, you know, and this wasn't everybody, but, but many people that um, had a diagnosis of dementia um, had no plaques and tangles. And then those that didn't have a, a diagnosis did. And so, you know, it kind of makes you think what really is causing, you know, this disease. And it's it's in so many ways just a baby, baby disease in terms of, of knowing, you know, what's at the root of it. And it does seem more and more that uh, it is has more to do with healthy lifestyle is affecting things in, in many factors and um, and that social engagement um, piece uh, seems to be, you know, coming up as, as more and more important. Is, is, would you agree with that? Or, um, you know, you're, you're probably on, more on top of the scientific stuff than I am um, with stuff. But yeah, it just seems it's, not, it's not easy. It's not, uh, I think, uh, and I'm a layperson as well. I'm not a researcher mm -hmm. or a doctor. So, um, but what I... The feeling that I have is um, that we, we don't know enough yet about the origin of, of the disease, of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. But it is probably a combination of, uh, of genetic factors and environmental factors. And the genetic factors you cannot change. That's not modifiable. Or age is also a factor where you cannot change age. But you can do something on your own health. And... And it's it's never a bad advice, even if the evidence is not so strong yet. Mm -hmm. um, it will never hurt to to eat well and to to exercise, etc. And and it's never it's not a guarantee that you don't get dementia. The the very healthy people who have got it, but on a on a population basis, if you look at 100,000 people living healthier, then they get less diseases than another 100,000 is not living so healthy if you see what I mean. Yep, yep, which makes a, makes a lot of sense, and it's sad because we, we all know it, but we just don't. 
we don't live it. And part of it, I think, has to do too with all of uh, you know the genetic foods and the, the fast foods and the fast-paced lifestyle. And you know, we we pack so much into a day, and we don't prioritize ourselves. Um, yeah. In terms, you know, we kind of we don't take care of the caregiver. You know, <laughs> you know kind of that scenario except uh it, it doesn't even have to do with caregiving it just it really has to do with um being you know living more consciously it be it would be nice to um even see more of that taught in the schools you know i don't think here in the US that it's really focused on nearly as much as as it could be or should be and and even with gym class and stuff a lot of the fiat has been cut out because of budgets and and stuff, so we're not setting things by example, you know, in a lot of in a lot of fashions. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the the upcoming report? You know, we've got World Alzheimer's Month coming up in September, and um, I believe the report this year is going to be on risk risk reduction. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So that's very much the same topic as we just discussed before. Mm-hmm. Um, what we are uh, the research group um, that we're working with is, is uh, it's called the Global Observatory on uh, Aging and Dementia. Um, we asked them to do a systematic review of all the risk reduction uh, research. So they screen all the papers that are written in scientific journals, and then if there's somebody something about this topic, they take it to account, and then not just look at one single study, but a whole bunch of studies to see how strong the the evidence is for uh, risk factors. So it will look at uh, the impact of, uh, for instance, other diseases. So what if you have diabetes or hypertension, but also uh, nutrition, exercise, uh, uh, social activities, et cetera, et cetera, everything that can be of importance. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to, to see the outcomes. Uh, I think for, for some areas there will be clear evidence from the studies that, that it is a risk factor and for others it might be weaker evidence. But um, we thought that it's time for an overall report on this topic. Um, we will certainly use that to, to promote uh, doing the right things in, uh, in the September campaign. And what ADI always does is just that we set the theme, we make this report, and we provide our member organizations with materials. But we, there, there's a lot of freedom how they use it in their own countries. And there are even countries that don't do the awareness month in September, but in other parts of the year. Mm-hmm. But the, the majority is using September for it. Okay. But Great. Do you have a, a specific date, um, or is it just the whole month? Um, I mean, because it is World Alzheimer's Month. Yeah, it used month, to be a, you... a day only mm-hmm. in, uh, on the 21st of September, but um, mm-hmm. that happened to be, over the years, that happened to, to be too short. So um, most in most countries, it's now, it's now the whole month of September or a number of events during September. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's every day, but... Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility on, and and this day is actually the the 21st is on a Sunday. So we have wrote a letter to the Pope and to some other religious leaders and asked them to pay attention to dementia on Sunday, the 21st of September. 
and it's fingers crossed that that's going to happen. Well, that would be great. I know I'm getting more and more calls from um, different sectors of of churches and the clergy are really struggling on how how to deal with this. And um, I know yeah. Us Against Alzheimer's has formulated a group, um, Clergy Against Alzheimer's, and uh, you know we're just seeing more more things pop up, which is great because you know they've got to. They've got an audience. They've got uh, you yeah. know to be able to talk to, and and I hear so often that people stop going because they don't feel like they're um, like they fit anymore, um, and yeah. and that's just so so sad because you know church I think was always meant to be a community. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that there's great yeah, potential. Yeah, I think the churches can do a lot in uh, in creating better understanding and acceptance of uh, dementia. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you, and I don't know if you um, can answer this or not, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. I had heard the other day that um, with our you know, research, I mean, our, our dollars are, are a pittance compared to any other disease. Um, but with that, the researchers are finding out a lot of information, maybe where their, their uh, findings have failed, you know, what they initially wanted to prove. Um, but the failings or that additional information is not being released to other researchers, and so then others are trying the same thing, and we're we're spending big dollars over and over again because we're not sharing all of the research data. Um, do you see that changing at all in the future? Um, with, yeah, this with, is this is one of the the things that is also discussed in this uh, G7 process. Uh-huh. Um, so how can we use money better and more efficient and not duplicate research because we don't know from each other? Um, and there are a couple of initiatives to make that happen. The uh, the Alzheimer's Association has, together with the NIH in the U.S., uh, started a database with all the studies. So every new study um, is put on, in a database. Uh, which means that at least for the English-speaking world, that uh, people can look that up and see, okay, there is already someone doing this research what I had in mind. So maybe mm-hmm. I should do it a, a little differently. Um, at the European level, there is a coordination mechanism that is called the Joint Programming of Neurodegenerative Diseases, GPMD, mm-hmm. uh, that is... Um, the countries all have their own funding streams, and that, that's that's still in their own hands. But they put that together before they decide on uh, proposals. They look at the whole of proposals throughout the EU and then take decisions. And Canada has recently joined that group, if I'm right. Um, and then there is a, a sharing of data through the API process, which is the, the data of... Uh, PET scans and MRI scans that are anonymized and that are shared with each other so that people who have made a scan and want to see, want to compare it with, with others, they can, they can go to this um, database as well. And then finally, um, research can probably be more effective if you have larger numbers to look at. And there's a couple of initiatives now to see whether... Um, cohorts of people that are followed in different countries if that can be put together to get larger numbers Um, because with the larger number of 
people in studies, you have much more reliable outcomes. Sure. So yes, this is this is a topic that's talked about a lot. Of course, there is the issue of privacy. Uh, there is an issue of who is owning the numbers. Um, so there are a lot of practical things that need to be solved. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's promising, and and the current technology allows us to to do data mining, data mining uh, among much larger numbers of data than than we ever used before in the past. That's wonderful. I'm I'm really glad. Um, And and hopefully, you know, if we can get this pulled together with the data mining and stuff, I I don't know if they do that in other diseases or not, but, man, you just think of the dollars wasted and and how silly. Um, And I I understand the proprietorship, you know, and ownership of of research and stuff, but there's got to be a way, um, you know, or or it's just going to take us so much longer. to yeah. to make headway here if if, if we don't um are, yeah, if we're not well, I have to more... say that I think that even if um research is done again by someone else sometimes it doesn't need to be a waste because mm-hmm. uh first of all it can be you can see if the study if it's replicated if it's giving the same outcomes or not yep. and that can be interesting data and it also means that a researcher is um, is becoming an expert in the field, mm-hmm. and that has a value as well. And you need a certain number of people who are experts in an expert community that has to have a a certain math, um, a certain level of uh, of numbers to be effective. I think we can learn that from the cancer world where. Many, many more studies are done than in the Alzheimer field, mm-hmm. um, and every new study adds some some knowledge to to the whole. So it's not always a waste of time or, or money if a study is negative. It can also exclude a pathway. Oh yeah, I I totally totally agree with that. Um, I, I was just looking at if there was information that would help somebody not make the same mistake. You know, sharing that yeah. that information, um, I, and I, again, I, I know that there's a big race on with the drug companies. And, you know, who's gonna who's gonna be who's gonna be first? But it also seems like there's um, like some of the drug companies are really starting to lose interest in the disease. Um, that's kind of the the feel. I've had a few people um, mention that um, lately. What's what's going on? They seem to be pulling back instead of forging ahead. Do you do you feel that, or is it just a, a few companies and a few few drugs? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm not sure. I think that there are many companies still involved in having things in the pipeline. Um, they're just more conscious that they don't um, that they don't raise the expectations too high. Mm-hmm. Um, so they want to don't want to come in uh, in the media with with very early stage studies. That they want to be mm-hmm. sure that it's something promising. I think there's still uh, a number of things underway. Um, but I think the the whole industry has run into one direction from the beginning, which was the beta amyloid protein um, as a target. 
Um, and now we see a variety of, uh, of things spilling and also studies with people in much earlier stage of the disease when the brain damage is, is less serious than um, with people who are diagnosed later in the disease. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are still some promising things on the way, but it's not easy. I always say the easy diseases were were covered in the 20th century and we know how to deal with them and now the, the more difficult diseases are left over. Uh-huh. But in the meantime, the average age of people in the um, in the highest income countries is, has gone up from 50 to almost 80 years. So that's already spectacular. That's great. Yeah, that is that is great. Mark, can you tell us about um, the the 2015 um, conference in Perth um, that's coming up in Australia in April? In case people yeah. want to be part of that. Sure. And yeah, that's that's coming up, and the preparation already has started. And so, um, just need to check the dates. I think it's 17 to or 15 to 18 April. Um, we changed a little bit. Of, um, the conference website is now alzint.org. So it's a sort of abbreviation of Alzheimer International. Okay. Which makes that um, makes sense. But um, maybe I make a promise. Yeah, it's live. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks it yeah, looks like so, a beautiful place to visit here. Um Perth, you know yeah. for the for the conference, that's for sure. And so the save the dates are the April fifteenth through the eighteenth. And anybody yeah. is invited if they've got from researchers to people with dementia to care partners to business professionals or large yeah, organizations. Everybody is welcome. Uh there is a there is a huge group of people with dementia who's very active in Australia and they're actively involved in putting together the program. And we probably have a speaker with dementia in every plenary. So that's that's quite unique. Um, the theme of the conference is care, care, cure, and the dementia experience, a global challenge. So it looks at, at all the aspects of the disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that the yeah, the website is already live, and the registration will open before the end of this month. No, it's already open. It opened on the 3rd of June. Well, okay. very, very early this year. And if you want to present yourself, uh, whether it's oral or a poster, there's an abstract process. And you can submit an abstract. And oh yeah, that's opening from the 18th of June till the end of October. And an abstract will mean that you make a summary of what you want to tell, uh, like a 250-word summary, mm-hmm. uh, using a format that is on the website. Um, and then all these abstracts are reviewed by the scientific committee uh, without knowing who wrote it, so it's anonymous. Um, they get a score, and then the, the ones with the best score will be in the program. And the other ones are offered the opportunity to present a poster at the conference. Okay. Unless right. it's a very bad quality abstract, then we then we have to reject it if it's if it's not good. But that mm-hmm. happens not much, to be honest. Okay. 
And the abstracts are in, in five areas, the latest development in science, international and political environment, past, present, and future of dementia, supporting and enabling people living with dementia, and prevention. And we will celebrate at this conference the 30th anniversary of ADI. Wow. And it's also the 30th conference of ADI. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to put it on my calendar, see if I can make that one happen. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it just seems like I always yeah. have a conflict getting called someplace else. But uh, it would be—I've always wanted to go to Australia, so it'd be a, it would be a great excuse to to go. That's to do sure. that. Yeah. 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 I'm. G- I'm going to meet uh, actually some Australians uh, in about two weeks from Stratford. Uh, I think it's—is it Stratford? Um, Lodge, um, who's doing some really cool, cool work, and uh, a okay. co- I don't know if you know Colin McDonald, um, Start Lodge, Start Lodge, there, and um, they are just doing some fascinating work. It's uh, so they're coming over here for a tour and some collaboration, and so I'm going to hook up with them while they're here too. Um, but yeah, really doing some different, different stuff, which would be fun um if you're not familiar with them for for uh for you guys to maybe chat or for them to submit a proposal for the conference since they're over there anyways but um yeah lots of exciting stuff yeah. going on so very yeah, cool what, is, yeah um now we've got let's see one of our listeners had uh just made a comment she said she's reading peter whitehouse uh book called The Myth of Alzheimer's, which gives a whole new slant on the disease. The main thing I have gotten from his book is that um, people's brains age at varying levels at different ages, and the research dollars should be spent on best care practices and perhaps prevention, not so much a cure for the aging process. She said, glad to hear they are utilizing diagnosed um, people as speakers at the conferences, Um she said progress, and then um, also supporting and enabling people with dementia. Um, good news. So um, thank you so much for that. Do you have thoughts in terms of uh, the research dollars for, for what Elva talks about in terms of best care practices and prevention versus the cure, or do you think they all need to be um, to be researched and, and valued? No, I think um, I have. <laughs> I've had a lot of uh, discussions with Peter Whitehouse in the previous years, and I don't always agree with him. But in this uh, respect, I do agree that uh, there should be more research into care, what is effective care, and what is uh, what can improve the quality of life for people with dementia. And that's that's in some in many research streams, it's an underestimated area. Um, but therefore, it's good to see now that there is more um, there's more systematic mapping of what research is done, and uh, so the, the the exercise of Alzheimer's Association and NIH, for instance, you can see how many studies there are on all the different topics, and that helps to raise awareness with um, the funding community that this is an underestimated area where more needs to be done. And I was very pleased that the Dutch government, when they launched their uh, dementia plan, that they decided that uh, one-third of all the money should go into care research. But that's that's quite unusual. In most 
countries, it's much less than one-third. Okay. Well, good. Well, Mark, is there anything else that you want to, to share with us today? No, it's. Uh, I think it's enough for me. <laughs> okay. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking, taking And it's the, the end of the day special. over here in London, so, yeah. So I have other applications to... as well. Yep, ready to wrap up. Well, thank you so much. It's always a joy to have you on and to hear all of the wonderful things that Alzheimer's uh, uh, Disease International is doing. And, and again, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and all your hard work. And you're making great progress. And it's wonderful to hear that your group is expanding um, on many levels. And um, yeah. so thank you. You're, you you're welcome. Re- it's always a pleasure to talk to you, uh, Lori. Okay, we'll t- we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mark. Bye bye. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with the Purple Angel um, project, I would um, recommend that you um, help us raise awareness. Um, and you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com, uh, go to our About page, and there's a whole page on the Purple Angel, how you can get involved if you're an individual or a business or a community. It makes no difference. Lots of different ways you can use this symbol. Very simple and easy, and it's not going to cost you a dime. Um, again, Alzheimer's Disease International with with Mark Wartman. You can get a hold of them at um, alls.co.uk, alls.co.uk. Um, or you can also um, go ahead and email them at info at alls.co.uk. C-O-U-K. Um, we'd love to uh, love to see you at that conference, or you can always make a donation to them. Uh, the site is filled with great, great information. Don't forget about the Alzheimer's Studies group. You can go to alzheimerstudies.com. There they have two trials. One is for tau, which is in its third trial, uh, clinical trial, and the other is a newer trial for frontal temporal lobe. So see if that might be something that works. And then the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Don't forget about their Father's Day contest. You can, um, again, find them um, on our website if you just scroll down to the bottom. Or you can submit your um, your story uh, to them at contest at alzheimersprevention.org. And let's see, or you can go to their site to learn more about the contest at alzheimersprevention.org slash forward slash events. Don't forget about checking out the Lewy Body Association or the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration if you are dealing with uh, with either of those diseases, uh, diagnosis. Um, or if you're dealing with aphasia, check out the National Aphasia Association. And um, music, again, can always help. So check out Coral Health, that's C-O-R-O Health, music first with Coral Health. They can help you get the right prescription uh, to make memories and uh, change moods. Uh, Jane Snyder with Puzzle With Me and uh, James Creasy has Jiminy Wicket, which is that croquet game, which is, uh, again, absolutely a fabulous uh, route to be able to to uh, 
to engage people in. I also want to give a shout-out to custom-made design. If you're looking for somebody who does websites, I, I just I love my guys. They, they have just treated me wonderfully, and I know that that's not always an, an easy thing to find. Um, last, I just want to mention once again, if you um, have not gone to our site, alzheimerspeaks.com, please do so. There you will find all kinds of information. You're going to be able to tap into not only um, the radio show and the blog, but our resource directory. You might be looking for services. You can use it for searching, or maybe you've read a book that you think people should know about that uh, you can actually add in to the resource directory. Um, or maybe you have a business um, or a service or you speak or train. We would love to have you be involved um, in the resource directory. There is, is no charge to be part of uh, be part of our group and it's just all about connecting people and helping them find um, what it is they need when they need it so uh, you know check that out there is a big button up on the top um, that says share that you care just click on that that will show you how to go ahead and enter into uh, the resource directory so with that, I'm going to go ahead and close. I'm looking forward to uh, the Dementia Chats this afternoon. So if you want to join us for the webinar in a couple of hours, uh, please do so. We would love to have you join us. You can go to the Alzheimer's Speaks blog, again, to find out more information on that or to go to our website and um, just, again, go to the About page and click on the Dementia Chats. Thank you so much for your time. and. Um, don't forget one last thing, because I'm forgetting here. Um, don't forget this book that Sha uh, Shannon wrote, What Do Flowers Remember? What a great, great gift this will make um, a teenager and or anybody dealing with this disease. Beautiful, beautifully written and wonderful lessons uh, to boot. So thank you so much and enjoy your week. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what can be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.